0: Have you ever mistaken somebody's identity? I remember in the uh, 10th grade, I did this. I had a basketball coach in eighth grade who uh, we got to know very well. And he was uh, also a parent of one of the kids in my high school class. And so uh, we got to joking around and, and hung out quite a bit. And so in 10th grade at a banquet for a music program, we. I saw him uh, from behind and I went up to him and I gave him a big slap on the back only to realize, not the same guy. You know, After apologizing profusely, I walked away as quickly as possible because I knew who it was, I just knew I didn't have that type of relationship with that guy. I mean, we've all done it at some point in time, mistaken somebody's identity, whether it's been we waved at somebody from a distance only to realize, I actually don't know who you are. Or we start up a conversation to our dear friend to realize that's not actually our dear friend. Or maybe it's been done to you. Mistaken identities happen all the time. And one of the central questions in the book of Mark is this, who is Jesus? And Mark tells us at the very beginning of his gospel and in various places throughout his gospel exactly who Jesus is, but it's still the profound question that everyone is asking. Those who come in contact with Jesus, they want to know who is this guy? Is he possessed? Is he crazy? Is he the son of God? Who is this man? And Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to look in the book of Mark and try to see how Mark answered this question. Because in reality, there's a lot of answers to this. Jesus is a lot of things. So we want to look at the book of Mark and see how he portrays Jesus and what we can learn from that. Uh, The first chapter is where we're going to begin at today. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through uh, 15 is where we're going to read through Uh, And and what we see in this section, in this opening portions of Mark, is this. We see that Jesus is our example to follow. And Mark gives us four different areas that Jesus sets the example for us. And if we can look to Jesus as the example in our lives, uh, we can learn a lot from that. The first thing that we learn is this, is that Jesus is our example when it comes to coming to God. And we read about it in verses 9 through 11. It says this, At this time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus comes and he gets baptized by John. And there's a lot of questions we're left with after reading that because we want to know why did Jesus do this. We have to look a little bit at the ministry of John. Mark just gives us a couple of verses before this to talk about John. Uh, and and what we see is that John comes onto the scene and he preaches to For the people to repent and be baptized. And we're told that people come from all over Judea and Samaria and Galilee to listen to what John has to say and to be baptized into those waters. Why? I mean, John is living out in the wilderness, he's dressed kind of funny, and we are left with that question, why would these people leave their cities, leave their homes to come listen to the strange guy in the wilderness? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why. One is all about the messianic hope that these people had. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for someone to overthrow the oppression of the Roman government and to set up the new kingdom of Israel. And at this time in Judaism, they believed that a guy would come by the name of Elijah and he would be the forerunner to this Messiah. And when you look at John, he resembles a lot of what Elijah was. He lived out in the wilderness and he dressed in camel's fur two of the most obvious signs for the jews and they would have seen this guy as elijah and so they're excited they're saying if this guy says we need to repent then we need to repent and so they were coming to listen to john and jesus comes and he's baptized And we're left again with that question, why? If John's preaching this message of repentance, why did Jesus get baptized? It's a good question to ask because in a couple of verses, we're going to find out that Jesus really didn't need to be baptized. He didn't have to repent of anything. He was perfect. He had no sins. So why? And, we're, and we don't really have an answer. I'm going to be honest with this. We don't really know why we're going to make some theological guesses that might be right. But in reality, we don't really know. The most easiest way for us to answer this is that Jesus is taking on this role of Israel In a little bit, Jesus is going to go out into the wilderness and he's going to be there for 40 days. And we have this number that represents how many years Israel was in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt before they came into the promised land. And so it's possible that Jesus is doing this as the representative of Israel. In reality, all of the history of Israel is pointing to Jesus. Abraham was called by God, and God told Abraham, Abe, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And all of Israel was excited about this blessing that Abraham had been given and promised, but in reality, it wasn't Abraham that was the blessing, it was Jesus. Jesus would be led up upon a hill, and He would die on a cross, He would die a death, so that salvation could come into the world, the ultimate blessings for everyone. So it's possible that Jesus is here signifying to the people, I am He, the one you are looking for, the one you are longing for, the one that was talked about. And we have this magnificent scene where the heavens are torn open and the Spirit comes and descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven who we can only assume is God says, this is my Son and I am pleased with Him. It's a great scene and it shows us our own approach to God. Jesus accepts this act that he didn't even have to really do and he submits to the will of God by being baptized by John and in the same way he sets the example for us when we want to come to God we need to submit to his will and we need to submit to these waters of baptism and there's a compare and a contrast that we can take on the baptism of Jesus with our baptism. While Jesus didn't need to repent because He was perfect, we do need to repent. And we need to change. There's a lot of things in this that that are very similar. We come to God in the same way that Jesus approached God in the waters. The beautiful thing about baptism is it unites us with Jesus unlike anything else. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we're told that we were buried through baptism into death just as Christ was raised from the dead. Through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. And in baptism, we are united to the sacrifice of Jesus, this Christ event, which is the blessing of the world. And what was true for Jesus is now true for us because we're in Christ. Paul writes in Colossians that we are to clothe ourselves in Christ, and that happens in the act of baptism. And now that God looks at us and He doesn't see us, but He sees Jesus. And it takes significance in this event of Jesus' own baptism because the voice of God speaks out and says, This is my Son, whom I love. The entirety of the Christian Gospel can be summed up in these words where God doesn't look at us anymore for who we are, but He looks at us and He sees Jesus and He speaks these same words to us. You are my dear, dear child. And I'm pleased with you. And I love you. Was true for Jesus Is true for us because Jesus is our representative. And now we can come to the throne of God without fear because we have a mediator who stands in the gap for us. Jesus shows us what it takes to come into the presence of God and it's an example that we must follow. We also see that Jesus is an example for us when we are faced with temptation. We read about in verses 12 through 13, right after this magnificent event, we're told that at once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Jesus is led into the wilderness. Again, this is a representation of Israel. Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea as they were being sent out into freedom, and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus passes through the waters of baptism, and now he spends 40 days in the wilderness. We're told that he is tempted, but Mark really doesn't tell us a whole lot beyond that. Luckily, we got Matthew and Luke to kind of supplement for us, and they kind of tell us where and how Jesus is tempted. And at every point that Satan comes to Jesus and tries to tempt him to fall into sin is at every point where Jesus is weakest. We're told that he fasts for 40 days in the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but usually I'm kind of hungry after 40 minutes of not eating. And so I can't imagine what it's like for Jesus not to eat for 40 days. And here comes Satan. And he comes at Jesus where he's weak. In his weakest moment, he says to him, Make bread out of these stones. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. So Satan takes Jesus to a top of a large building, maybe the temple in one of the versions, and he says, look, why don't you jump? And God's angels will come and they will protect you. Why don't you test God and His protection? At some point in Jesus' life, He's going to need the help of the angels. He'll be arrested and tried at a fake trial and they will beat him with a very harsh and torturous beating and then they will lead him up to a cross and they will nail him there and in the middle of that, he'll look up into the heavens and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here Satan is previewing that. Saying, don't you trust God? Jump. And after Jesus stands firm, Satan takes him to the top of a high hill and he looks out over the kingdoms of the earth and he says, I can give you all of this if you simply bow down and worship me. And the entire reason that Jesus came into this world was so that he could gather the kingdoms back from the grasp of the devil. But to get that... Jesus would be nailed to a cross and die a very slow death. And here Satan is offering Jesus everything that you came for if you simply do this one thing. At every point, Satan tempts Jesus in his weakest areas and things that will be very important later on in his life in moments where he will need God's help. And Jesus stands firm. Mark doesn't really focus too much on the victory over those temptations. He simply says Satan tempted him, and then Jesus went on with his life. And and we can kind of assume that this isn't the only time that Satan came, that possibly, most likely, he came throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, trying to tempt him to get him off mission. But the author of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who can who is not who is unable not for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we yet he did not sin. Jesus stand firm. And he is our example in overcoming temptation. And what we learn from this is this is that sometimes God doesn't always keep us from temptation. Now we may pray to God, Lord, keep me from being tempted, but in reality, sometimes the Spirit of God leads us into the wilderness. And there are times when we'll be tried and we'll be tested. And if we can stand firm, we will come out of the wilderness stronger than where we came in. Like fire metal that is heated up and comes out stronger than before. And we learn from Jesus that if we can stand firm in the Word of God, we can stand true even to the end, that we can overcome. We shouldn't necessarily seek out the wilderness for ourselves, but sometimes we might find ourselves there. And if Jesus can overcome, we can overcome by the same power that is living inside us. So don't let your guard down. Don't don't think that because you overcame it one time that the next time it comes, you will be able to do it again. you have to stand firm every time, no matter the situation. And know that Satan will often attack us when we are weakest, when we are not expecting, when we don't have strength. Much like Jesus had to endure. Jesus is our example in overcoming temptation, but He is also our example in preaching the good news. And we read about it in verses 14-15 when we're told that John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee and He proclaimed the good news of God. And He said, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. We don't necessarily know how much time has passed from the baptism of Jesus until John is thrown into prison, but we can assume that it's been a fairly short amount of time, maybe even 40 days. And Jesus comes onto the scene and begins his public ministry. Many times we're afraid to preach the gospel message. Many times we're afraid because we don't know how people are going to respond. We're afraid of what they're going to say about us. We're afraid of what they're going to think about us. If it's our friends that need to hear the gospel, we're afraid that they're not going to be our friends anymore because we're telling them about Jesus. and We get afraid. Now look at Jesus' life. Here you have a guy by the name of John who's going out preaching the gospel that the kingdom has come, that they need to repent, and he is thrown into prison. We're told later in the gospel story exactly why he was thrown into prison. John's message was to repent, and it doesn't matter if you're the highest person in the land or the lowest person in the land, there are sins in your life that you need to confess and turn away from. And so when King Herod Did something morally wrong, such as marrying his brother's sister. Uh, John didn't kind of back down from that. He said, you need to repent. And Herod didn't like that, so he threw him in prison. And John is this superstar, this guy that people are coming from all over to listen to. And here Jesus comes on right after John is thrown in prison, and he begins to preach the exact same message. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe. And if they could throw John in prison, they easily could have thrown this no-named guy named Jesus into prison as well. And yet Jesus didn't have, wasn't afraid. And he preached this message. And his message is twofold. The first is: the time has come, the kingdom is here, and it's this messianic hope that the Jews were waiting for. We've all seen them at some point in time, right? Those those guys that stand on the street corners with the signs that say the end is near. This is kind of what I picture Jesus doing. The end is near because in the Jewish mind they were thinking of two different things. They were thinking of the time that is now the present age and the time to come when the Messiah comes onto the scene. And here Jesus is saying the Messiah is here. The end is near. But it's a message of hope. That the Messiah has come. That the new kingdom is being established. That anyone can come and be a part of it. The second part of Jesus' message is rather uncomfortable. repent and believe. No one likes to be told that what they are doing is wrong. That what you're doing is sinful. And this is what Jesus is preaching repent, turn away, stop sinning. And we see Jesus' message reaching a large group of people. And we cannot change that message. Jesus is our example when it comes to preaching this message. And no matter what your sins are, no matter what your crimes are, no matter what you've done in your past, the message is the same today as it was in Jesus' day. The kingdom is at hand. It is here. And you are welcome to enter. You are free to enter. But you must repent. Repent. You must not continue to do the sins that you have done in your past. Those things that don't bring you joy, why would you continue to live in them? Change. Allow God to transform you. It's a message that we need to not be afraid to preach. Jesus, at the end of his life, will tell his disciples, go and make more disciples. And that command wasn't just for the 12 that he told it to. He told it to all Christians everywhere. It's our job to continue the message that Jesus had. Because Jesus is our example And The final thing is this, is that Jesus is our example when it comes to figuring out where we're to go next. And we read about it in verse 35. We're going to skip some of it chapter 1 verse 35 we're told that very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus got up he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed uh, if we were to read the parts that we skip, we would see that Jesus has gained a lot of popularity. He's called his first four disciples. He went and he healed the mother-in-law of Peter, and everybody in the town heard about it. Everybody in Galilee starting to hear about Jesus, and everybody in the city that he's at brings their sick to have Jesus heal him, them, and they're excited. And they're wondering what is next, and they're wanting more of Jesus. And there's this this building up of popularity. And in the middle of that, Jesus goes off by himself to pray. Mark presents Jesus praying just three times in his gospel. The third time that we see Jesus prayed is at the end of his life. He's just celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. Judas has gone off to betray him to religious leaders, and there is Jesus by himself praying. And knowing what is coming next, he says to God, God, if it's your will, please take it away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. The second time we see Jesus is praying is right after he feeds 5,000 people. And there's a messianic fervor as the people are super excited about Jesus feeding them in the wilderness. And they are beginning to get to the point where they're ready to make Jesus their king. And they're ready to start the revolution. And in the middle of this, in the middle of this excitement, Jesus leaves them to be by himself to pray. And then we have this. And all three times that Mark tells us that Jesus goes off by himself to pray, it's during very large, big, momentous occasions where the next thing that Jesus does is about to change the course of his life. And he prays not for his own direction, but that the will of God be done. We need to learn to pray in those big moments of, of life, to follow the example that Jesus gives here, that when life just seems to be out of hand, or we know that the next decision that we make is going to drastically change how we live the rest of our lives, those are the moments we definitely need to go off, not to be with other people, not to listen to what the crowd has to say, but to go off and listen to what God has to say. In Proverbs, Three, we read these words trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight and I think this is what Jesus is doing in this moment not relying on his own wisdom although it was great but trusting in God and submitting to the will of God for the direction and so when the disciples come and say Jesus everyone's looking for you Jesus tells them let's go somewhere else they need to hear the gospel too. Jesus is the greatest examples for us to follow. He shows us how we can come to the presence of God. He shows us what it means to truly endure temptation. He shows us what it means to pray in the big moments of life. And he shows us what it means not to be afraid to preach the gospel. Growing up in Indiana, the, the best sport that everyone needed to learn to play was basketball. And I remember doing all kinds of stuff. I remember my dad building a, a, one of those outdoor basketball goals and I'd go out every night and shoot after school, uh, maybe even before homework. My mom claims to this day that she couldn't get me to stop dribbling the ball in the house. No matter how much of that I did, probably the thing that helped me learn basketball the best was watching the great players. Watching people like Reggie Miller do all kinds of craziness, watching Michael Jordan do whatever he did, watching the college basketball players put effort and time into it, and I began to develop habits just like them in my own game. And just like we look at great sports figures to be better athletes in life, the person that lived the greatest life of all was Jesus. And we need to look to him to be our example, to imitate him. And if we will look at Jesus and what he did in important situations, and we copy that, we will have great impact in this world. Jesus is the example. And we need to live like he lived. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we are grateful for Jesus and his faithfulness to you. We're grateful that he shows us so many ways that we can approach you, and he shows us how we can live our lives to glorify you. Lord, help us to imitate him. Help us not to lean on our own selves and our own understanding and our own wisdom. But help us instead, Father, to trust and lean in you in all things. Help us to follow the example that Jesus sets. Because Jesus is the example. It's his name we pray. Amen.